for Bible reading, but it is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 25. And if you've got a church Bible, that's on page 121. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor, a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect, love the family of believers, fear God, the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, giving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thank you so much, Sarah. <clears throat> and if that triggered you, you better get ready for next week. Uh, okay, so, one Peter. I can just have a presentation. Thank you. Um, I'll remember... The first time I felt this strongly, is Jesus worth this? I was actually doing a Christian ministry, Christian work as a job. So on the outside, I was a mature Christian. I spent my days helping other people understand the Bible and know God. But then the first time I faced something, hardship, that was only coming into my life because I was a Christian. There are hardships that come into our lives that we face, whatever we believe. You know, Christians are not the only people who are hardship, far from it. But this was something I kind of invited because I thought it was part of following Jesus. And so I had a long wrestle with this thought. Is Jesus worth this? I don't have to do this. I'm choosing it. Is he worth this choice? That's an especially difficult question if you believe what Peter's already taught us in this letter. He says, as soon as you obey the truth of the gospel, as soon as you trust in Jesus, 
you are purified, you're right before God. Well, if that's true, why do this difficult thing as well? I don't have to do it for God to accept me. That's achieved by Jesus. So why keep making this attempt? Why not just give in to my sinful desire? Maybe you've never felt that. But I'm telling you, sooner or later, if you're trusting Jesus today, that moment is going to come to you. There's some way you're going to have to stand out. Some person you know God wants you to forgive and be reconciled to. Or just something you have to put up with. And you'll think, is Jesus? Peter is talking to Christians under pressure because they are Christians. And he seems to have two concerns. He's very concerned that they'll just withdraw. They'll try and hide in a Christian bubble to get away from that feeling of being isolated and awkward. That's not uncommon today. It's very easy to fill your life just with Christians, do Christian stuff. Then you never have to face feeling awkward for being a Christian. He's also worried about another fault they might have, which is just blend in, not live distinctively at all, but just live the same way as everyone around them. And that's another way to involve the awkwardness. But he says, no, God's special people should live among everybody else and live differently to everybody else. Remember last week, our fight, our battle is not with people around us. We must never be aggressive to people as if they are the problem or blame the world for tempting me. The fight is within me to not give in to my sinful desires. Yes, the sinful desires come to me because other people around them, I don't agree with that. The problem is me and I need to know I'm so loved and looked after by God, I shouldn't give in to that sinful desire. As we talked about that last week, I guess I assumed the desires being talked about would be the desire to be sexually immoral or to get drunk or to be I'm sure that's included. But as we read on, the biggest desire, it seems Peter is saying, we need to abstain from, we need to realize is wrong in our lives, is the great desire to be right, the desire to be honored. The desire for people to see and really reward us for them, to be recognized. Instead, Peter says in what we've been reading today, learn to humbly submit. Continue to do good even when you're treated unfairly. That is the thing that will mark you out as different. Live different lives among people who aren't Christians, what will happen sooner or later is that they begin to treat you unfairly. And the main mark of being different is how you react when you're treated that way. It's very hard, but Peter is going to say, we still do it. We still choose that path because Jesus is worth it. So here's the first thing that we see. Be a citizen, not an idiot preach about this because believe me you will look very hard to find someone who is less a fan of our current uh, but he says Peter in verse 13 submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority so the unlike people around us 
we have a higher purpose and therefore we submit to human authority. In fact, Peter says you should be grateful to have any government. I mean, it's hard to believe that the people that Peter was writing to had an emperor called Nero who liked to burn Christians as garden entertainment. But Peter still says you should be happy that there's a government at all to order society. Because while it's always fallen, God gives us government to stop society collapsing. Honestly, it's hard to believe that any of these people on the screen are uh, even worse than Nero, or even better than Nero, but there we go. We have to believe that. Now, just to be clear, this is not about church leaders. You might be hearing this talk and think, oh, this person's in authority, and they're giving a talk about how we should submit to authority, how, how convenient for them. This is not about Christian leaders. We're going to see more about that in chapter 4 and 5, so we'll get there eventually. This is about how Christians relate to the authorities that are outside the church. And I think what Peter is saying this is, th- is this. It is not your job, Christian, even though you belong to God, even though you are his special possession, it is not your job to opt out of life in your community. You have no right to disobey because you're like, yeah, but I've got a different ruler now. It's God. I don't have to submit to the emperor. That's a real difference between the Old Testament before Jesus and Christians after Jesus. In the Old Testament, God's people were a nation, a country. that We're scattered throughout the world living as God's people. And so we submit to the rulers of the nation we're in. The truth is, in verse 16, Peter says, you are free. That is, I think, what he means by that is that if you are part of God's royal priesthood, a holy nation, it doesn't actually matter what the government thinks of you. You're free from that. In your life, your boss or the police, someone who has authority over you, in truth, it doesn't matter what they think of you because you're right with God and he's the biggest authority. So in a sense, you're free. You're free from their judgment and control. He's the only one who can make true judgments. You're free. But he says, don't use that freedom as a cover-up for doing evil. Don't say, well, I don't really have to submit to the authority because I'm right with God, so I can do what I like. Rather, live as God's slaves. Use that freedom from human expectation to do what God wants. And what God wants for Christians is to two things. Submit to authority as far as they can. And instead of using their energy to fight authority, do good for the people around them, verse 15. And that will stop people saying wrong things about the gospel. In the Roman Empire, this is a very big deal. People went around saying, Jesus is Lord. That was quite controversial. The Roman Empire really believed the Roman Emperor was Lord. So if you just go around saying that, and then you say, stuff the emperor, we have our own community, you're going to put people off being Christians. You mustn't do that. Submit to authority. And if you want to use your energy doing something, don't try and overturn the government. Do good for people around you. That is what will really show what the gospel is like. 
Now, let me just make an aside about politics. I'm not sure it's the main idea, but I do want to make an aside about that. We do have something different going on today than they did then, largely due to Christian influence and then liberal influence. The MPs, the people who are in government in our country, they do work for us. You know, we're not their views. They're supposed to submit to our views. They represent us. Um, and so I don't think we have to unthinkingly accept what the government does without using our power to do something. That isn't submitting to our system. This is something about their history that doesn't quite translate. Rishi Sunak is not our emperor. <laughs> you know, Boris Johnson, could be worse. <laughs> don't have an In fact, submitting to our political system to try and obey Peter probably means not just walking along saying, OK, I'll do what I'm told, but really submitting to the system, engaging, voting, making your voice heard so they represent what you think. Out of the state. And the opposite, Peter's the opposite. Stay as your place as a citizen. So that's a bit about politics. But there is a wider concern here. It's this. If you are known, it should be for doing good, not for causing trouble. Two groups of Christians who hear this. There, I don't think we have many of these, but maybe we've got some. Uh, Christians who love causing trouble. There are Christians about these Christians becoming, he's talking to, they have a real, alive, very vibrant faith. He said that. And that can easily turn into, I belong to God and I will do what I like. We saw a few Christians do that during the whole time of COVID restrictions. For Christians, well, I don't have to do what he says because I belong to God. He doesn't like that, Peter. He's saying growing more into maturity will being more willing to take your place in society, even if that and spend your energy you might want to spend rebelling, doing good for people. I will do what I want to do is just a way of not really living a and part of your society. And if you're known for anything, doing good. And just that phrase is interesting, isn't it? Of course, it's God's decided what's good. So he's not saying everyone will always think what you're doing is good. God defines that. But doing what's right, respecting the place where you are, that's what Christians should be for. Even if you are, as many of us are, totally disillusioned by the leadership of that place. So that's Christians who are tempted to say, Stuff the government, I'm a Christian, I belong to God. There are other Christians, and I think this is probably more like us here, where the idea of sort of submitting, slipping into the background, fitting in, that, you know, you're sort of a church that's conservative theologically, that can turn into being conservative socially. We wear sensible fashions, and we love not to cause trouble. Don't, don't anyone look at me, I don't want to, you know, cause Especially if you're British, that's part of our national psyche, to cause a fuss. And the instinct is right there. We should want to not cause trouble. But that is in order to do good. 
Are you known for doing what's good? Are you known for helping people who need help? Are you known for taking a stand? Are you known for exceptional generosity? Is this freedom that you have not to be judged by the authorities? Uh, yes, that means you, it's fine for you to in and not be in trouble. Great. But is it being used to fully serve God? I love this next verse. Show proper respect to everyone. So give everybody the respect they deserve. Love the family of believers. Maybe if you're someone who doesn't mind just sort of slipping into the background, not causing trouble. Well, here's a really active command. Love the family of believers. Do what's right for other Christians. I mean, lots of people who are basically like, yes, yes, I'm very good. I fit in. I don't cause trouble in work. They do the same thing in church. I just sit in the background. I don't cause any trouble. I just fit in. I come, then I go. Peter's not recommending that. He says, love the family of believers. Um, if your natural rule-keeping means that impressing your boss matters more than loving other Christians, that's not proper respect. It's out of, out of kilter. Or fear God. I, I think that's interesting. Many of us keep our heads down, not for the Lord's sake, so we can do good things that point to him, but because we're scared of the people who are in charge of us. Fear of people doesn't ever lead to good results. We shouldn't be doing anything because we're scared of people. We should consider what it means to fear God, honour the emperor, give people with authority the respect they deserve. Now, listen, I realise for many people here, the application of this day-to-day -day is extremely complicated. For you, there is a tension between submitting, loving the family of the church and fearing God. Those things feel like they're pulling in different directions for you. But can I say to you, there are loads and loads of people in our church navigating that really well, really thoughtfully, really prayerfully. And that's one of the reasons why we encourage everybody to not just come in here on Sunday and then go home, but be in a group where you can receive insights and wisdom to that. Here is even if you're a sort of like I always fit in person, that Christians are great on this, I think it's different in terms of complaining. I don't mean like complaining about bad customer service, saying I paid for that, I didn't give it to me. But I feel like British culture, and again, if you're from another culture, you probably have noticed this, there's just a sort of social um, thing that we get by by saying that the boss is bad or the schools are bad or, as I've said, the government bad. Yeah, isn't it terrible? That is not showing proper respect to the people around us who are trying to make things work for us. And remember the heart of the issue. It's this sinful desire I need to abstain from myself that I I long to be right. I long to be recognized and for the world to be the way that I want it to be. I'm going to spend my energy on making things better for myself by saying to the man which is war on my soul. It makes me a twisted, deformed being. If I am loved perfectly by God, it means I can submit and be known for doing good. 
And one of the reasons you can do that is because you are dignified wherever you are. Just looking at verses 18 and onwards. Now, Christianity has an extremely mixed record when it comes to slavery. The story that we like to tell are about the people who campaigned for the abolition of slavery and the fact that they were Christians. But here's the truth. Some of the people we might regard as spiritual heroes kept slaves and argued in its favour. There were Christians on both sides of that. Now, there is a difference between what Peter is talking about here, verse 18, a bond servant, which was a particular in the Roman and Greek world, between that and some of the horrors that we have seen since in, say, the transatlantic slave trade or trafficking today. There is a difference there. But the truth is that these verses and verses like them were used to spiritually blackmail slaves into staying in their place by professing Christians. And we can't hide from that. That happened. You know, slaves obey your masters. It says it in the Bible. Slavery is okay. Well, that is to overlook something that I only realized this week, reading about this passage. Assuming all Christians will tend to be people without influence, without power, because that's the nature of being a Christian. Now, he just assumes that. He's like, most of the time, what you think on the margins of everybody else. That's just the nature of believing what we believe. People will think you're weird, they won't give you power. Just an aside, therefore, Christians who think we should get political power in order to advance on a Christian agenda, the Bible knows nothing about that. It does never suggest that as a way forward. As we should expect to be in the margins. That's Peter's view of the world. We are all people on the margins learning to operate there. And so the first example of this, Peter deliberately chooses a group of people who are in a totally impossible situation. In fact, they're only in this situation because of sin. It's a sin to own another human being. But it's a fact. In a world, people who are on the margins. How can you possibly honour Jesus? that you're in is so entirely created by people rebelling against God. And all Christians are going to have to learn that because we're all going to experience that in some way. We're all in the margins. So I think he starts with the hardest case. People owned by someone else. That's just such a product of the world being messed up and fallen and broken. How are they supposed to be Christians? And Peter is saying there's no situation too extreme where you don't have the dignity of belonging to Jesus and serving him. He uses slaves as an example because it's a call for the rest of us not to withdraw from hard situations. Many Christians in history and many Christians around the world today have no choice except to serve Jesus in situations that look totally impossible. In fact, this group is radical. In this society, you didn't talk to slaves. You wanted them to do something. You talked to their master. 
They weren't involved as dignified beings. And so he says, in this situation itself, only brought about by totally sinful behaviour, even there, Christians can submit and Christians can do good. Yes, slaves, you more than any of us will probably experience unfair treatment. But if you're punished for doing good, God sees that. In fact, God's own son, Jesus, as we've seen in this letter, Jesus is precious to God. He identifies with you. He says you are like him when you're in that situation. Peter imagined justifying slavery, I don't think, because he just lived in a world where it was a given. He was having an argument about whether it was right or wrong. Instead, he's offering dignity and meaning and significance of the highest kind, being like Jesus, to the lowliest people in the world. Again, is hard. Largely because of Christianity, we now have laws against slavery. I do want to say, though, there is a chance that you're here today because you have been trafficked or you're in this country under compulsion. And unlike these slaves, there is power to help you. The system has changed. Please let us know someone in that situation. In fact, in Liverpool, it's more common than in other places to be alive to that. Don't be naive. And if you think that's going on around you, as part of the first bit of the passage, submitting to the authorities over us, we should do something. It's illegal. It's wrong. It shouldn't be happening. We're certainly not saying, if you're in that situation, submit to your master. But here's the thing. There are plenty of Christians in the world today who are powerless to change their situation. Perhaps they are in actual slavery. Perhaps it's just poverty that they're enslaved in. Perhaps they're in prison for being a Christian. And 1 Peter 3 says to them, Jesus sees. Jesus sees their good deeds, even done there. Perhaps especially done there. He says, don't let the unfairness of what is happening to you lead you to sin. Be known for you. Yes, you, more than anyone, are likely to be unfairly treated, but Jesus is there, he sees and he helps. And church, we learn from those 